TV, comics, movie stars, hit singles and some toys. It's trivia and dirty jokes, an evening with the boys. Once is never good enough for something so fantastic. So here's another Gilbert and Franks. Here's another Gilbert and Franks. Here's another Gilbert and Franks. Colossal classic. This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre. And our guest this week is a talented, popular, and versatile actor of the stage, as well as the big and small screen. You know his familiar face and voice from feature films like Outrageous Fortune, Just You and Me, Kid, Finders Keepers, Second Sight, Butch and Sundance, the early years. Dick Tracy, The Curse of the Jade Scorpion. A Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, and Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, as well as four outstanding films he made with the legendary Robert Altman, Rooster McLeod, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, Thieves Like Us, and of course, Mesh, as the dentist with suicidal tendencies. Captain Painless Waldowski. He's also made dozens of memorable appearances on television shows like Gunsmoke, Mission Impossible, Bernanza, Our Roots, Fantasy Island, L.A. Law, Saint Elsewhere, Law and Order, Babylon 5, NYPD Blue, Star Trek Enterprise, and Star Trek Voyager, and of course as the loyal Sergeant Enright on NBC's long-running McMillan and Wife. And we'd be remiss if we failed to mention three shows we have discussed at length on this very podcast. The New Odd Couple, The Monsters Today, and the last but never least, Holmes and Yo-Yo. But there's more. He's also made a lasting mark in musicals and on Broadway and off-Broadway stage in Annie, Get Your Gun, South Pacific, Nice Work If You Could Get It, and both the 1977 and 1997 productions of Annie in the role of Daddy Warbucks. In a career that's began way back in regional theater, he's gone on to share the stage and screen with Warren Beatty, Rock Hudson, Christopher Plummer, Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton, Robert Duvall, Glenn Ford, Peter Ustinov, George Burns, 
as well as former podcast guest Alan Alda, Keith Carradine, John Ashton, Lee Merriweather, Dick Van Dyke, and Treat Williams. Frank and I are excited to welcome to the show a performer of many gifts and a particular favorite of yours truly for being the first actor to utter the word fuck in a major motion picture, the charming and talented John Shuck. Thank you. (laughs) Have you noticed... How my Gilbert? How my last name rhymes with that first word you use? Uh, yes. Now, now tell us about the the only reason I want you on the show. Is that... It's a fucking good reason, I'll tell you. Yes. <laughs> you now know the language uh, the language rules of the show, John, okay. or lack thereof. Yes. So, <laughs> how did this? You, you know you're my hero now, that you're the first one to say fuck. <laughs> well, it's a small claim to fame, but it is my own, so I'll, t- I'll have to take that. It all happened because uh, we were shooting the football sequence in MASH, and we were in Griffith Park in Los Angeles, is where the, the football game was being uh, photographed. And uh, Altman had finished everything that he needed to do for the day, and he turned it over to the second unit director, and uh, so this guy, Andy, comes up to me and he says, oh, by the way, we were playing with real football players, you know, these giants, uh, Ben Davidson from the Chicago uh, Bears. And, yeah, I remember Ben and, Davidson. Yeah, I mean, and I think he went, even went on to have a little bit of an acting career after that. Um, anyhow, I had to line up opposite Ben Davidson, and Andy says... Uh, just say something that'll make him angry. So <laughs> I just said, all right, bub, this time your fucking head's coming right off. And that's the last thing I remember for five minutes. <laughs> he cold cocked me. I mean, he just knocked me backwards. Uh, I saw stars and birds wow. and Tweety Bird and the whole whole thing. And I, I uh, they gave me some smelling salts and I came around and, there he was, all six, ten of this guy, say, I'm sorry, man, but you can't talk about my mother that way and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so the next day, we go to the dailies, and that scene comes up, and uh, Altman liked it so much that, bless his heart, he kept it in. I love so it. That, so A- that's Andy how Sedaris, we got in. It, it was way, not, A- yes, I'm sorry, Frank. I suppose Andy Sedaris was some, became something of a legend. Yes, he did. He was like a poor man's Russ Meyer. <laughs> <laughs> shot a lot of shot a lot of movies with big breasted women. Uh, yes. yes, yes. He got into penthouse pets and he things fell of that into that nature. trap. He thought yeah. that exuberance in that area would sell tickets. I guess. <laughs> and I I heard that uh, during the making of Mash that uh, Donald Sutherland and Elliot Gould at first were really didn't like Robert Altman. They thought he was doing a terrible job. Right. Yeah, that's true. They uh, they wanted to have him replaced because Bob was working in an unconventional manner. And it uh, Donald was coming off a very successful film for him. So he couldn't afford to have this next one kind of put him in the, in the, into the toilet. And Elliot was in a similar place professionally. 
And, uh, but uh, they tried a little minor rebellion, which lasted maybe a day, two days mm-hmm. at the most. And Alton took them aside and talked to them and explained how he works and all of that. And it, 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 you ended up with these wonderful performances. And after that, they couldn't, well, Donald never worked with them again. But No, Gould, Gould several times, though. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I want to go back to when Altman saw you. Did he see you at American Conservatory Theater in yeah, San Francisco? I was doing a, a play by Jules Pfeiffer called Little Murders. Oh, Shades of Elliot Gould. Shades of Elliot Gould. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, all I knew was that this director was coming up to see a wonderful actress, um, Michael Learned, who went on to play sure. uh, Ma Walton. Walton. And anyhow, uh, we were playing opposite each other, and... They'd come up to see her for the part of Lieutenant Dish, the part that Joanne Flug eventually uh, took over with. And afterwards, we all went to the local bar and got to know each other. And he was he was very nice, easy to talk to. And I went home and, you know, wishing uh, Michael every success. I hope that she got the part. Well, she didn't get in the movie, but I, about a week later, I received a call asking me to look at the part uh, of... Uh, oh, he owes Scarrett's part. Scarrett's part. Yeah, yeah. They had a, uh, they'd offered it to a guy by the name of Burt Reynolds, that's contract player at Fox, who turned it down. Oh. And so the part was wow. open. And I read it, and I, I really didn't think I was right for it, I, which I told him. And uh, he said, well, thank you very much. And then he called back uh, 48 hours after that and said, how about Painless? Would you like to do Painless? And I said, who's that? He said, well, he's the guy in the Army with the biggest schlong. And <laughs> another, another Gilbert Gottfried connection. Uh, right, right. <laughs> I, I know what it feels like. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> to make something long very short... Uh, <laughs> That would be mine. Yeah. In, a de- in a delusion of glandeur, I took the part. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Were you un- you were underwhelmed by the script? I heard you say I was. Yeah. Well, he, he, it had first been movie script you'd ever read. It was. I kept falling yeah. asleep. Actually, to be honest. <laughs> wow. But that was the end of a season, and we were in a, doing like ten plays at the same time. So, you'll forgive my fatigue, but uh, it was very episodic. And uh, in each episode finished, and then the next one would start. And each episode, and the initial assemblage of the film, once it had been shot, was as Ring had written it. Um, and it was a real sleeper, and it, nobody was happy. And that's when Altman's genius went to work, and he did a couple of things. Um, he chopped up sequence completely. For example. At the end of When I Have Been Revived by Joanne Flug, there's a shot of her going away in the helicopter. Yeah. With that beautiful smile. Yeah. Well, that's because she was leaving, and that's what allowed Hot Lips to come in to replace her. But you would never know that in the movie. You think they're there at the same time. Oh, very interesting. So that's the type of magic that that he did. And then what was really brilliant was he added the character of the loudspeaker. Oh, something that wow, wasn't a, d- a device used for years in the series. Yes. 
exactly. Yeah. And so that uh, that's how that all got put together. And the difference was magical. They previewed it up in San Francisco, and I flew up there and uh, got to the theater in a movie called Butch Sundance. Butch uh, Cassidy and the Sundance Kid was just <laughs> wrapping mm-hmm. up before ours. And the audience went crazy about that, and rightfully so. So our little picture begins. All the fox suits are there, you know, sitting behind me. And our little, and nothing the first five minutes. There's no reaction. And I forget what the exact moment was, maybe when they steal the Jeep, that all of a sudden, just a subtle shift in energy. And that grew, and it grew until we got to the first operating scene. And that's this vein that's been broken, and blood is spurting mm-hmm. out all over the place. And I thought the woman in front of me was going to throw up. She, uh, and then, so the, the real, we had the realism of the first operating scene. And then the whole place took off. This energy just built and built and built. And wow. at the end of the picture, they stood up and cheered for 10 minutes. I've never seen anything like it. And all the suits are looking at each other like, hey, we got something pretty good here. <laughs> and your first movie, I, right I out remember, of the box. Yeah. I remember in MASH, uh, Elliot Gould, I think he punches Robert Duvall. Yes. Yes, he, he goads him what, into... Uh, yeah. After he, after he's, oh, no, after it's Donald. He, Donald goads him at breakfast into... Uh, right, right. Punch him. And what's, what I remember about it, it's... The first time, like, in movies, you know, people throw punches yeah. and everything. But it's the first time it showed, like, throwing a punch can be really painful. <laughs> it was a good one. And, and he's like, you know, yeah, he's in great pain after he punches. Him. Yeah. It clocks him on the top of the head. A- after he humiliates Bud Court, he makes Bud Court right. uh, feel that he was responsible for was the responsible. patient's death. Yes. Yeah, it's ter- it's terrific. It and, is. And a really different kind of part for Duval too. Yes, he's never done another one quite like that. No. And no. Uh, he, um, unfortunately, I think he was done in two weeks, maybe even less. Um, they, they did that sequence first. But uh, wonderful fellow and um, sh- sure enjoyed my, my time with him. Yeah. We'll shout out one other podcast guest that we've had on this show who was in that movie with you, and that's Carl Gottlieb. Ah, yes. Yes. <laughs> also known as Iron Balls McGinty in the show. <laughs> <laughs> Carl Gottlieb has this passion for Mustangs. The, the Ford, The Ford kind. At least he did then. Yes. Every time I saw him in the over a twenty year period, he had a, a new Ford Mustang convertible. Usually, he's a fascinating guy. Did you did you read uh, Mark Harris's terrific book about Mike Nichols, John? No, I did not. You should read it. It's 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 a great read. But notable is that Nichols, uh, who was obviously making Catch Twenty Two around the same time, went to see Mash and became depressed uh, because he realized this was the movie he should have made. Yes. Well, he's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and we, about that. We, we called it the catch the zero. <laughs> we never that that Joseph Heller book was so fantastic. Great book. And then yeah, book of I, books. It's stupid. It's just as hard hard to make a bad movie as it is to make a good movie. But what a cast. And <laughs> yeah. and Mesh was one of those movies of like 
one of the first times people are talking over each other. Yes. That was the beginning of that overlapping dialogue, which at that time was the bane of every audio person. <laughs> you know, the, yeah. a little separation and all the close-ups, you were not allowed to overlap. That was a, a cardinal sin of movie making. And uh, that technique was then used in Brewster McLeod and especially in McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Yeah, even more so. Uh, but there was a, a complaint there. People felt they couldn't hear the dialogue. Well, they could hear the dialogue, but it's like a symphony orchestra. If you wanted to pick out the oboe, that you couldn't do. But everybody got everything in, correctly. By So as a result of that, for the next picture, the Sam Marlowe detective story with Elliot, I believe it was, he, uh, he had, for the first time, brought a sound mixer onto the set. Oh, the long goodbye. Right, and it only yeah. had about six knobs on it. It was very primitive. And, uh, but that movie was, was mixed a lot on the, on the set. They'd say, bring up Elliot and this thing. Or, I love that picture. So, um, yeah. Very, very good picture. I mean, talk, talk about, you, you're in that, that, uh, that minority of actors that has a mega hit and is his first time up at bat. Yeah. Yeah. And what what happened the rest of the time? <laughs> well, as, as we said, you made four excellent pictures for for Altman. Well, talk, let's talk a little bit about jumping into Brewster McCloud, which I didn't know when I've seen Brewster McCloud many times. I didn't know until doing prep for you this week that he was going for a, a Bergman parody. Yes. Of sorts. Yes, that's where the when the bird, you know, Craps on the on Stacy Keach's character in the wheelchair. Right. Yes, <laughs> it, yes. It, that in in the Bergman one it was de duve. duve. <laughs> yeah. So, duve. so a parody yeah. of the parody of the Bergman movie. So de, it's de, de yes, duve. We were, <laughs> it wasn't a parody. It was a tertiary. Tertiary. Right. 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 What uh, a wild film. Yes. He and I had our first argument uh, about the ending of that film. Uh in which Bud Court is flying around the Astrodome, and uh, he is shot down by the police. And I, I said, that's not how the movie should have ended. The movie should have ended because Bud Court failed. He, he could no longer, you know, fly. So we argued about that for 20-some years. Oh, you did? <laughs> and one night at a party, I don't, uh, he came up to me and he said, you know, I've been thinking about Brewster a lot lately. And he said, I think you're right. <laughs> oh, wow. So I you felt were, redeemed. You were vindicated. <laughs> is, is that you? It's very hard to tell in the, in the, in the, the crowd scene. Are you one of the cops leaping to, to, to get him in, uh, in the Astrodome? Or am I mistaken? I don't think I was. I mean, I remember running out in the field and seeing, seeing him actually... Going around, <laughs> and then and there's around. that weird Fellini-esque La Strada ending thing where yes. where you're the strong man. <laughs> yes, exactly. It is that is a that is an, a, a film that is impossible to categorize. It is. It's and I think of all of his movies, it's my favorite. One of mine too. I love the Long yeah. Goodbye. And, and Frank and I were talking. You did a love scene in a movie with Elizabeth. Taylor. Did he ever? Yes, sir. Tell us about that. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the name of the movie. It was, it was so. Oh, uh, Hammersmith is out. Hammersmith is out. Thank you. Right. Yes. That's, a, of, that's another wild one. Yeah. Sort of Faustian 
uh, attempt at, at the Faust story. Um, uh, well, I was cast as a Texas oil millionaire by the name of Henry Joe Fitch, I think it was. And uh, they were shooting it down in Cuernavaca, Mexico. So in addition to <laughs> know that I'm going to work with Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton, Peter Ustinoff, and Bo Bridges is no slouch either. No slouch. Uh, it was very, very exciting. I, I kept benching myself. And then you fly down to Cuernavaca, which is, if you've ever been there, it's a city behind walls, but you go through these gates and then vistas open up. There was a wonderful hotel there called Las Mañanitas, and you walk through the gates and there's peacocks strutting around. And uh, I mean, it was just an amazing, amazing place to shoot. Anyhow, my first day of work, I had spent the night at this hotel and they picked me up. Uh, and I was in my dressing trailer there, and there's a knock on the door, and Ustinov says, have you met Elizabeth? I said, no. And he says, well, are, are you ready to shoot? And I was, our first was first scene was the kissing scene. It, it took place on a, on a heart-shaped bed. And uh, anyway, he takes me across a quadrangle and knocks on the door, and and in there is Elizabeth Taylor wearing my the same outfit. Edith Head, I guess, had a was saving money. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the same outfit. It was uh, yellow silk um, bathrobes. And the first word she said to me is, "Would you like a mimosa?" It was six thirty in the morning. Wow! <laughs> and of course, I said yes. <laughs> So we had a mimosa, we talked, and Peter said, well, why don't we go to the set? And so we, we, we did the scene, and I was aware after the first take of the kissing part that Richard Burton was lurking, <laughs> peeking, peeking through curtains to see who this guy was that was kissing his wife. Anyway, I couldn't believe it. There you are, looking into the eyes. You're four inches away, and you're getting closer and closer and closer into the most beautiful woman in the Western Hemisphere. Even at that time, she was extraordinary. And uh, and you're a young actor still. And I was, yeah, I'm, yeah, a, I'm yeah. a nobody. And um, I felt bad though because I kept messing up, and we had to do that kiss over and over. <laughs> <laughs> That's. That movie's on YouTube. You can watch it. Really? I'll tell, I'll tell our listeners. Yeah, I watched it last night. I found it. And it's an oddity. I had seen it years and years it, it ago. Is. But Burton it's... plays this kind of a Hannibal Lecter character. I never a, knew what it was. A maniac in a straitjacket who's yes. let out of an institution. And it's, to, it's, a black the, com it's a black comedy. It's a black comedy, but, yeah. and a, very, but a very poor one. But Yusinov uh, was uh, tons of fun. He, he supposedly was directing the picture, but... Just before you're ready to do a scene, he's doing imitations of a 1954 Chevy having a nervous breakdown. <laughs> that type of thing. Oh, because he's in Which, it, too. He's in it, too. Yes. yes. Right, yes. right, right, right. Oh. I just have to go back to Brewster McCloud real quick. Uh, Gilbert, produced by Lou Adler, record producer Lou Adler, and Papa John Phillips. Yes. Of, of all oh. people. Did you meet Papa John? I did. Uh, I At a... Uh, cocktail party just prior to the shooting 
uh, uh-huh. in, in um, Houston, Texas is where we made it. And I have to ask if you met Margaret Hamilton, too. Yes, it, I did. Yes. And uh, uh, she was from Cleveland. So we had, oh, uh, oh I'd been at the Cleveland Playhouse, right, which is right. where I started Early out, right out of college. And um, so we knew many people. She was a charming, charming woman and uh, still has not alleviated the nightmares I have about that character with the green face flying around. Yeah, there's even a little yeah. homage. There's a Wizard of Oz homage, a couple of them in Brewster McCloud, but one of one involving her death scene. Yes. Yeah. People people and, should see and it. Now, Richard Burton was one of those legendary drinkers. Did you witness anything like that? Yes. I think it's safe to say I did. <laughs> <laughs> He's not going to sue us, John. <laughs> I was invited to dinner. And it was the weirdest thing. I, they had this beautiful rented house. And... We had a cocktail and then went into the dining room. Richard sat at the head. I was to his left. Elizabeth was to his right. And the rest of the table was empty. There was nobody else except members of the family and some, I don't know what they did. About seven people were sitting in chairs up against the wall watching us eat. It was very bizarre. But he was... (laughs) He was quite drunk. Wow. And it, and it had just been his birthday. And he, all of a sudden, he started chastising Liz for giving him a golf cart for their yacht. He wanted a real car, <laughs> not a golf cart. Wow. And he was making this known that he was unhappy with his gift. And he kept going on and on about it. And she just sort of sat there and then finally turned to me and said, isn't this the stupidest thing you've ever seen? People who have yachts like we do and to want a real car on top of it that would never be used, isn't that funny? And she started laughing. <laughs> Which so she not. had some perspective on, on their she excesses. She was like that. She was yeah. very down to earth. That's great. Refreshing. Yeah. But when yeah. he was sober, and he only worked part of the day at that point, um, the, you know, till about two o'clock, and then he had, they sent him home. Uh, he was the most erudite man I think I've ever met. And I, they had two little Pekingese dogs that were running around. Lovely. They were very nice dogs, very well trained. And I picked the, one of the dogs up and, and asked Richard... Uh, What's this dog's name? And he said, Inso. I said, What? Inso. It's from Shakespeare. And then he proceeds to recite this whole thing <laughs> with, with the word Inso. So I'm, you know, two, two pushed in people uh, with noses pushed in, me and this Pekingese are standing there listening to this great actor with that voice do his Shakespeare. Oh, so for cool. Us. It was wonderful. And because it's my job to put get people on the spot, Gilbert, would you like to favor John with a little bit of your uh, Richard Burton and James Mason and the Honeymooners? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alice, Norton and I drink very <laughs> The Grand High Exalted Mystic Rulers 
are having a Berlin tournament. <laughs> and Richard Burton has not. I can't go Berlin. <laughs> Trixie's mother is coming over. <laughs> and Jack Nicholson as Alice. You can't fucking go bowling round. <laughs> Bravo. Do, do you know I used to work at, in the concessions in the Broadway theaters, mm -hmm. like for their fruit juices, and and I would see Richard Burton every night in Equus. Yes. And it was... With one particular whole school nugget, the boy embraces. The animal digs his sweaty brow into the boy's cheek, and they stand for an hour like a necking couple. And of all nonsensical things, I keep thinking about the horse, not the boy. The thoughts and what thoughts it may be thinking. Thoughts totally beyond propagating its own kind, or filling its belly. What thoughts could those be? Not to remain a horse any longer. Not to stay reined up in its particular genetic vows. These thoughts are more than vaguely worrying. They are, in fact, subversive. <laughs> wow, Bill. You retained that from Equus from 40 years ago? Yes. 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 You, you must have paid a lot of attention to your work. <laughs> <laughs> Gil, what period was that? Was that late 70s? Mid 70s? Oh, yeah, yes. I guess so. That would be like it, early It was the 70s because I was doing Annie when I was playing. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. if, you, if you went down the street, you could have seen John and Annie. He's doing that, and I'm saying, NYC, what a, you know, all right. that stuff. <laughs> Let's let's go back to Altman and talk since you since you mentioned uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, one of my favorites. And Gilbert mentioned the famous Altman overlapping dialogue. I mean, the complaints about that film was that some of the dialogue was uh, incomprehensible. Yes, but it wasn't really. It's not. I watched no. it again last night. I, I own it, and it's such a wonderful movie. Yes, uh, we shot that in uh, British Columbia, uh, Vancouver, uh, in West Van, at the top of a. Housing development. There was a the top of the hill was all virgin territory with forests and but had this large clearing and that's where we built the set. And when I say built the set, the set was built as we shot the movie. And um, the carpenters and everybody got so into it that they threw away their power tools and started building everything with hand tools. Wow! And as a result, the construction fell far be <laughs> behind. Uh, so there was, there was a, we had to take a couple days off while they caught up as a result and they weren't allowed to do that anymore, but that was a wonderful shoot. We, we had, uh, parties there. Um, you know, that wonderful scene where the, the, the marvelous actor, Bob Fortier does his drunken ice dance. Mm -hmm. Well, that pond was there. We used to skate on it at night and, uh, it, it was, it was marvelous. It was Keith, Keith was here a couple of years ago. And I'm sorry. Keith, who was? Keith Carradine was here with us yes, uh, on the that, show a couple of years ago, and he he told us his uh, a, that was a very Keith's young first actor, movie, yeah. wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Yes, I believe it was. I think so. Yes, I believe it was. What? And it was your scene where they sing the theme to Mash. Oh, back in Albany. Yeah. Yes, Suicide is yes. Painless. Oh, yeah. You know that song is a, the tune was written by Johnny Mandel. Sure. 
who sadly just uh, passed away recently. And uh, but the lyrics were written by Altman's son, who at that time Bobby was, I guess, thirteen years old. He just did it one night and showed it to his dad. His dad said, "Hey, this is pretty good," and gave it to Mandel and the. That's, that became the song. I don't know if this is one of those bullshit things you read on the internet, but supposedly uh, Altman's son made m- far m- much more money off off of MASH because of the song's residuals than Altman himself. Uh, yes, I would imagine that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of nuts. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast, but first, a word from our sponsor. Tell us about Warren. You you would go on to work with Warren and Dick Tracy later. By the yes. way, a movie Gilbert auditioned for, but we'll we'll table that for the moment. Okay, <laughs> I want to hear about that. Yeah, tell us about tell us about Beatty because I, I it's fun to know that M- McCabe and Mrs. Miller, which is in many ways is a grim picture. Yes, what uh, was a uh, was a lively fun set. Well, it was a lively fun set. Um, but not without difficulty. Uh, I think it helped the fact that uh, Julie Christie was starring opposite them, mm-hmm. and they were a couple at that time. And uh, so he was happy. He felt good, and he liked the script, and he, he, he seemed to enjoy what Bob was doing. But I do remember this one night. It's in a scene at, the, at McCabe's. Uh, and it begins with me walking over and picking a cat up. Oh, off you picked the cat off the and, poker table, yeah, yeah and yeah. and dropping it on the ground. And that little scene wasn't that long; it was maybe five, six lines. But for some reason, um, Warren got a bug up himself there, uh, and he wanted to do it over and over and over again. And after about the ninth time, Altman said, "Well, listen, it's it's late, Warren." You direct the scene, and I'm going home. And uh, so Warren did. And we must have done it another 10, 11 times. Because we were, we were there another good And I finally said, can we find another beginning? I'm dropping this poor cat on the ground for an hour here. You know, this is not good. Anyhow, finally Warren said, that's it. I'm, I'm satisfied, and we go home. On my way out, though, I said to uh, Vilma Sigmund, the photographer, uh, boy, that was a lot of film we used. He said, no, not too much. I said, what do you mean? He said, after Bob went home, I stopped putting any film in the camera. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. I, I was going to ask if you'd ever seen any examples of the famous Beatty perfectionism, but you answered the question. That's it. I didn't have to ask. Yeah, yeah I once auditioned for Dick Tracy, and I auditioned for Warren Beatty, and and it, the talk was, oh, you're perfect for the, that tip. Yes, <laughs> yes. You're just perfect. You're exactly what we want. <laughs> and, and then I'm talking to my agent, and my agent says, oh, they found someone else. And I said, who? And they said, Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> so I don't know when my name and Dustin Hoffman were going neck and neck. And it's like the, the only way I could see my name being in the same sentence with Dustin Hoffman was, would be, I've seen Gilbert Gottfried's acting, and he's no Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> 
Well, well done, Gil. I, your, your story is much better than mine, but he called me and I said, John, can I do you, would you do me a favor? I said, what? He said, well, I'm doing this Dick Tracy movie and uh, I, I'd like you to be one of the reporters. He says, it's not a big part, but it's important. <laughs> you know, that's the usual stuff. And uh, so, so I said yes. And, uh, but in a negotiation for the day's work, I couldn't get any billing. I could, uh, I, uh, nothing. I, I mean, it was, uh, it, it was, I was told it was unavailable that there wasn't any and, and no one was getting any in those roles. Um, so I go to work and it was being shot the back, uh, lot at, uh, Warner Brothers. Or Universal, I forget which one. I think it was Warner Brothers. And it was hot. I mean, it was 90-some degrees at least. Mm -hmm. And there's Pacino with this full head of makeup, you know, latex and wigs and glue. (laughs) I don't... Cool as a cucumber. Well, how could you tell? Latex doesn't sweat. But nevertheless, he seemed to be that. Very plain chess with one of the crew guys, you know, that type of thing. So we're sent to the makeup trailer. Me, Alan Garfield, and a couple of other people. Oh, the late Alan and, Garfield. Yes. So Just lost him. They go, uh, they think, but I don't think he was Alan Garfield then. He kept changing his name. Gorwitz. Yeah. Horowitz. That's what yeah, it was. Go he was Horowitz. And um, so one, I was the last to go into the makeup trailer. Well, each person going in is, you'd hear, get him a nose, get those ears. It's so on like that. I step into the trail. The guy says, oh, you're fine. <laughs> that had to it. hurt, John. <laughs> I don't get no respect. <laughs> I like that film. I mean, it's got issues. <laughs> but... And, and, and the narrative is is a little is a little bit clunky to, yes. to be co- to be kind, but yes. it it is it is a beautiful looking picture. It is that, and the production design is is stunning. It's, it's absolutely stunning. Yeah, yeah. and the costumes and Sets the makeup and, and some great. great performances. And, and did you have any dealings with Pacino? No, I. The only thing I said to Pacino was uh, uh, Queen's Rook to uh, Night Two. No, I didn't say anything to him. Do you think it would have been a better picture with Gilbert as Mumbles? I do. <laughs> we could have understood him. <laughs> do, you, do you think Midnight Cowboy would have been better with me? <laughs> I think it would have made more money. <laughs> John, before before we get into the good stuff like Holmes and Yo-Yo, let's talk about. I want to. I, yes. I want to talk about thieves like us too, which I found. I was texting John saying I could not find it because it wasn't streaming. Yeah. I I got a DVD. I had it rushed to me. Uh, had seen it years ago. Great part for you. Thank Great you. sizable part for you, and and you played. Yeah, it, it, it was one of the leads. Uh, it yeah. was a he was a half breed Indian. Yeah. Check them uh, all. Check them on Mobley. This this was a gangster picture based that had been made once before, 
called uh, They Travel by Night, I believe. Oh, yeah. The, oh, yeah. It's a Nicholas Ray picture. Nicholas Ray. Yeah. Totally different movie. I mean, it, they're not even recognizable outside of the fact that these gangsters. We were bank robbers. The, uh, Keith Carradine had the male lead uh, with Shelley Duvall as his love interest. Uh, Louise Fletcher was in it. Yeah. Her husband, Jerry Bick, was one of the producers. And Burt Remsen, who was a former Hollywood casting director who had his body absolutely shattered by a falling crane. And oh, somehow got himself back together, but he walked with a limp. Yeah. And in the book, my character walked with a limp. The reason being that the way he escaped from prison was he chopped his toes off. It, so he could slide, uh, get the... Uh, the uh, toe chains that were holding him in prison. Uh, but so in, in the movie, Bert had the limp, and uh, I was playing this, this half-breed Indian who was a really mean guy. And I, I loved playing it because it was a chance to do something that was totally different than I had done in any of the other Altman pictures. Or in uh, Moonshine War, which is the only other movie I had done. And it was a great experience. We shot it in Mississippi, in the Kudzu. And it was, it was just wonderful. I, I, I loved it. it uh, there wasn't a day that I didn't, wasn't eager to get to work. It was my first time in the South. Mm-hmm. Uh, which uh, even at that time was still had not come into the 20th century. In fact, there was an incident. We were on location. There were three cops who were looking out for us that day, guarding the highways and stuff like that. Two white guys and a black guy. And at this one location, second location of the day, there's all this gunshot going on. Bam, bam. We couldn't finish a scene because there'd be bam, bam. So they sent the black guy down to get the gun st- stuff stopped. And then we find out from the other cops that the, the shots are coming from a Ku Klux Klan rifle range. And they oh thought that God. was really funny, sending him down there to stop them shooting. Oh, my God. That kind of thing. So there was a lot of work to be done there. and uh, This is 74, right? This is 74, yeah. 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 But the lushness of that countryside, the hospitality of the people and everything was, was terrific. It's a good-looking picture. And, good and it's part, a good part beautiful, poetic movie. Yeah, it is. It's slow, very slow. But it, it's, and it was gorgeously lit by a French uh, uh, lighter, lighting man by the name of Jean Bufti, a photographer, rather, who did all his own lightning. And he used, most of the time, he didn't use big Hollywood equipment. He used small little PARs, you know, the, like the lights you, you put in your outside lights. Yeah. To illuminate your yard and stuff. And he created these pictures that were rich and saturated colors. It was just phenomenal. Good picture. And, you- and what was it like working with George Burns? Well, George, I loved him. I didn't know what to expect. The man was a perfectionist. He rehearsed scenes for, I don't know, 45 minutes, sometimes an hour, until he felt it was ready to shoot. It was 
it was an honor working with him. He was he was he was wonderful. And then he'd say, "I think uh, you'd do better to say uh, this like um, with a pause before the." He's got it. He had his cigar, you know, and he, he was great. I can't How do great. him, but obviously, but 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 he he was terrific. How great you're getting timing tips from George Burns. Yeah, that's why. That's a just you and me kid with with Brooke Shields and notable because Gilbert also in that cast uh, Key Luke and Carl Ballantyne yes and Ray Bolger Ray Bolger oh. Phil Silvers uh, uh, Burl Ives and Burl Ives yeah yeah can you tell us anything about any of those people they were very good <laughs> <laughs> I can't I, I'm I'm not I'm not hemming and hawing I I didn't have any scenes with them. Right. Yeah. So right. I, I really didn't. I, I I watched the shooting of maybe one. Yeah. I got to you work the, with Burl Ives later on uh, in a little movie shot up in uh, Park City, Utah, and uh, gosh, he was a fascinating guy. Um, he didn't sing for us, <laughs> but he did have. He, <laughs> he did, did. He did. He did sing for the uh, House uh, Un-American Activities Committee. However, yes, he did do that. <laughs> But he 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 was one of those, and I'm terrible because I can't remember anecdotes at all for the most. That's part. okay. But but he was full of them, and then it turned out that we shared the fact that we had a love of sailing, and uh, so we talked about that quite a bit. You played the the nosy neighbor, uh, notable because that was written and directed uh, uh, by a man who was uh, active in your career, Leonard Stern. The great Leonard Stern, who yes. would have been a wonderful guest on this show. He would have. What a career. Leonard Stern was wrote for for all early television. He wrote for Honeymooners. Sid, Sid Caesar, The Honeymooners. He yeah. produced The Honeymooners. He, he did a lot with Gleason. Wrote for Bilko. And that's right. Yeah. 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 He sort of he sort of was like the hidden the hidden talent along with Mel Brooks and other writers of that period. Well, he developed Get Smart for television. I mean, yes. after after Buck and 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 Mel, I guess, came up right. with the concept. But he Gilbert, did, yeah. he also wrote Abbott and Costello movies and a Bowery Boys movie. Bowery Boys movie, he did uh, Leonard Stern. Yeah, he and was he invented great. Mad Libs. He oh, well, wow. he he owned a publishing company, and actually, yeah. it was, actually, it was Roger Price who invented the Mad Lib. Oh, I have this wrong. Yeah, it was, I mean, Leonard helped and encouraged all that, but uh, for those, does anybody remember Droodles anymore? I remember Droodles. Yeah, so a, a, a Droodle would be something like, he, he, you would draw on a piece of paper, uh, upside, upside, and what is that? that? That's a worm going upstairs, and then you would draw, that's a worm going downstairs, you know, that type of thing. That, that he strikes me as a brilliant really guy who did a little bit of By the way, Gilbert, married to Julie Adams from Creature of the Black Lagoon. That was his first wife, yes. Leonard Stern, interesting man. Also created Run, Buddy, Run, Gil. And I'm, yeah, and I'm he Dickens, she, he's Fenster. And I'm Dickens, he's Fenster, which is yeah. why, why oh, he went John on to work Ashton with Aston and, so much. Yeah. And, uh, oh, God, uh, Maury. Uh, oh, uh, 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 yes. Uh, why is his name jumping out of my head? Marty Ingalls. Oh, Marty Ingalls. Marty Ingalls yes. and yeah. John Ashton. Yeah. yeah. But he also created a little show called McMillan and Wife. Well, that was, yes. <laughs> 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 he did. Uh, 
I was just finishing up McCabe and Mrs. Miller, and I got a phone call from my agent, Wally Hiller, and he said, uh, Leonard Stern called, and he thinks you'd be very right for this NBC movie of the week with Rock Hudson. And uh, he said, There's, the part isn't well written, but he thinks you could do something with it. So I read the script and said, yeah, I'd love to. I'd, yeah. And I was shooting it in San Francisco, my old stomping ground, so I was... Mm-hmm. more than willing to go for a couple of weeks up there. So we did it. And uh, it was called Once Upon a Dead Man. It was a, almost a full-length movie that we shot in a couple of weeks. And uh, I d- had no idea that NBC was planning or considering putting it into the mystery wheel that they had at that time. Sure. The Columbo. The NBC McMillan mystery movie. Movie, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Those were great. So... Uh, it ended up being six wonderful years, yes. Yeah. And what can you tell us about Rock Hudson? Well, Rock Hudson, you know, what a fabulous career he had. And he was an extraordinary man. It was so sad the way his life ended. Yeah. He, he was a better, better man than that and deserved more uh, than, I mean, he did achieve the fact that AIDS, and again with his friend Elizabeth Taylor's help, became uh, something to talk about and be aware of and mm-hmm. and all that. But he, um, from the very first day, treated me as an equal. He was always very well-prepared as an actor. And the thing I admired most about Roy, as we called him, or like to be called, is that he really wanted to become a better actor. And he was not afraid to try things. He did. I Do, I Do with Carol Burnett on stage. They toured around the country. He did a production that probably made a nickel of John Brown's body that uh, had ran for a couple of months. He he did... Uh, oh. He was in that movie. It's a, really a movie I recommend. Yes. Second. Oh, the Frankenheimer Second, picture. The Frank- yeah. yes. good, good movie. I Very mean, good. he was not a pretty boy he was an actor and uh and then when you see what his performance was like in giant oh yeah my lord so he uh, wasn't content to be a movie star he wanted no, to no. he wanted he to improve really and develop to be his craft yeah yeah it, it it's a shame i mean for so many actors we 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 wanted to get tab hunter on this show as well but it's just a, <clears throat> who i guess was a similar journey in in, in being closeted for so long yes uh, not only the way that, that as you say, he, he came to a, a sad ending, something that he didn't deserve, but also all, all of those years, um, you know, uh, uh, in silence, not, yes. not, not being able to speak his truth, not being able to be who he yeah. was. It's, un, it's so, so unfortunate, but I, I suppose that's the industry. It is the industry. And I mean, he even got married for Pete's sake, married his yeah. secretary. Yeah. 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 Uh, to hide this, but there, there were there was a whole bunch of those guys, and when you went over to parties and stuff, I, it was, I had the honor to meet them, guys like Tab mm-hmm. Hunter, and uh, it was it was uh, they're just terrific people. They're just yeah. wonderful. Great, uh, they were good parties, and it didn't help that Doris Day would be there or Ava Gardner or <laughs> you know that type of <laughs> type of thing. So that's that's been my only. I am not a Hollywood person. I'm not a party person. That sure. just happened to be a a uh, perk that went with a wonderful experience. 
We should remind our listeners that John is not living the Hollywood life. He is he is in uh, Franklin, Tennessee. Yes. <laughs> yeah, living my, the good, my, my Harrison, life, my was... wife, and I pulled up stakes about uh, 11 years ago. I think we saw the handwriting on the wall or the, the tents on the beaches, something. Anyway, we moved, we moved to, uh, to Franklin and been, have been very happy there. And, and, and what, I, what, I, a, what a, a nice thing that he treated you. Obviously, you're a second banana on that show. Yeah. And he's treating you like an equal from, from day one. From day one. But, I mean, he was that way with Susan, who, yeah. you know, is his co-star, Susan. Uh, and, great Susan St. James. Uh, St. James. Is, 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 is what? I said the great Susan St. James. Oh, the great. Oh, I yeah. thought you said the late. You scared no. the Jesus out of no, me. No, no. 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 <laughs> and the funny thing is, I'm wearing my new hearing aids. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking them back in the morning. <laughs> You, you watch the show now, and of course, would you agree with me that sometimes you can see chemistry between the actors on the screen? You can see people getting along? Yes, it, it, absolutely. I watched in the second episode, and the three of you were in a car, and you're doing some kind of, uh, imagine it was scripted by, by Stern, some kind of bit. It's almost like a Marx Brothers bit about barrels. Yes. Certain kind of barrels. And, and it's very clear that you and Rock and Susan, and I think Nancy Walker, too, yes. ha- had this kind of rapport. Yes, I agree. In it fact, comes I, think across. It, I think it was the success of the show. Because the first year, we didn't do that well. Uh, we literally were renewed on on Columbo's coattails because Peter's show, Peter Falk's show, became the hit, yeah. one-way hit. And so people started tuning in at that time, and we were able to, to pick up our audience that way by the second season. Shall we drop Mrs. McMillan off at the house, sir? No, she's going with us. She's anxious to find out if we can locate her china. One of our barrels was missing. I see. What have you found out, Henry? Well, we're off to see Mr. Buchanan, who runs the moving company, sir. But we've searched both kinds of barrels in storage there, and there's no barrel with a body in it. What do you mean, both kinds of barrels? Well, it seems there are two kinds of barrels, sir. There are storage barrels, and there are shipping barrels. And the barrels we received are what, shipping barrels? Right. Now, I found it's not possible to store a shipping barrel, but a shipping barrel you can store. I'm not sure I follow that. Well, let me simplify things. There are two kinds of barrels. There are shipping barrels and there are storage barrels. A shipping barrel you can store and ship, but a storing barrel you can only ship. I mean, store. So you can ship a shipping and you can store a shipping, but you can for storing you can only ship. I mean, store. You mean you can ship a shipping barrel and store a storing barrel, but you can't ship a storing barrel? Right. No, no. You can store and ship a shipping barrel, but you can't ship a storing barrel. Got to ask you, Gilbert and I were on the phone talking about you and your career before, and I, I went to McMillan and Wife's IMDb page, and my God, what a list of the 20th century's greatest character actors. Yes. I'm talking about Richard Deacon, Murray Hamilton, Jack Guilford, William Demarest, yeah. uh, Werner Klemperer, Slim Pickens, Wally Cox, Keenan Wynn, Roddy McDowell, Nehemiah Persoff. Yes. Uh, even... Buddy Hackett and Jack Carter, I'll throw in there. <laughs> Buddy Hackett, you know, he wanted us to know that he carried a gun on his ankle. There you go. And then, then, then he tell, and he, he tell, that's come up a lot. <laughs> do, you, do you remember any of those other character actors Frank mentioned? Oh, absolutely, Jackie Coogan, Michael That was that was the fun thing. I mean, you never knew who who was being cast, and you just couldn't couldn't believe it. Uh, Richard Deacon was great, funny man. Uh, we both shared a love of food, 
And so he would he would have recipes and once he invited the cast over to the house and uh, and made us a wonderful meal. Um, William Demarest, my God, I mean, I grew up watching him. What a list of people. And, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank. Who played the kid in the, the silent picture? Uh, oh, Coogan. Jackie Coogan. Yeah. yeah. Coogan, my God. Yeah. I said, Jackie, you know, you, you're, you were married to my first love. And he says, who's that? And I said, Betty Grable. And as a kid, I had, I'd fallen madly in love with Betty Grable. <laughs> and I, this is like a third grade. And I wrote her a letter asking her to marry me. Oh, great. <laughs> but she wrote back. And she said, that was very nice of me. And she wished she, she could marry me, but she already had a husband. I mean, it was a really lovely, lovely thing. Fantastic. If I could only find that letter, oh. I, would, I would have insured it like her legs, I guess. And and Murray Hamilton? Murray, of course, had, was on every movie and television for 30 years. Big, great career. Oh, my Lord. I, it, was, it was extraordinary. We even had 12 guests on this podcast, John, who were on McMillan and Wife. How about 12. that? Gino Conforti, Charlotte Ray, Barbara Feldon, Emmett Walsh, Jimmy Karen, Gilbert's friend. Bernie yes. Coppell, Barbara Barry, the great Julie Newmar, Tony Roberts, Peter Bonners, yep. Jessica Walter, who we just lost, sadly, and yeah. John Aston. And Johnny. How about that? Well, you know, uh, we uh, we share a... Who, who did you say was your friend there? Uh, oh, uh, James, James Karen. Karen. James Karen sponsored me for the Friars Club. Uh, not the oh. Friars Club, the Players Club. Oh, and got became a and we became very good friends. I was sort of sad and that, but delighted that at the end of his career, he flourished. Yes, he had all these wonderful movies and parts, and and finally was able to, you know, become a very recognizable actor, which was wonderful. Sweetest sweet man, and and he's like you. He he knows he had a memory. That was a steel trap, you know. <laughs> it wasn't a name you could mention or think well, of. He was friends and with Buster. Huh? He was friends with Keaton. With Keaton, yeah. 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 yeah he was friends with everybody. I, yeah, I remember one time I went over to uh, James' house and he, it was a running thing that he owned one of Keaton's hats. Oh. And he would have his guests pose. Wearing uh, Keaton's hat. <laughs> That's great. That's great. You, do you That's have a picture of that? Uh, of course I can't find of it. Of course. Yeah. It's with the Betty Grable letter. It's with my Betty Grable letter, yeah. Uh, but of course I can't find it anywhere, but I remember. Wow. You know, Gilbert and I get a kick out of how in those days the same actors would recur in different parts over and yes. over again. Yes. So I randomly picked two McMillan and Wife episodes. I picked the second episode which I believe was directed by our friend John Aston. Yes, it was. Um, no, it was, the, it was the first one of the series. First one of the series. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's Gilbert, there's Vito Scotti. Yes. And <laughs> Kenneth Mars. And uh, then I said, no, no, now I'm going to watch it with my wife. We loved it. Now I'm going to watch an Enright episode. I'm going to watch a Shuck-specific episode. Yes. And I settled on Cop of the Year, oh. which is the one where you're framed. 
for the murder. Yeah, it's my my ex-wife, Lorraine. Of your ex-wife. Um, and Sid I, and Sheinberg's I'm, wife, Lorraine Gary. Lorraine Gary. Yeah. Five minutes into it, there's Vito Scotti and Kenneth Mars. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and Paul Winchell. <laughs> oh, oh I forgot about that. And a cameo. Uh, 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 Mac goes to a, uh, a movie set to interview a director about how a squib works. Because <laughs> it turns out she she caused her own death with a squib. Yeah, she shot I, mean, I know, To this day, that makes no sense. The whole no sense thing whatsoever. That, it's, it's, <laughs> and, you know, this wonderful playwright, Oliver Haley, was yeah. the story director before Steve Bochco came in. And Oliver, he was a great playwright, but he's very excited. He comes up, he says, this next episode is your episode. He said, I felt it was time. I, I, he said, I wanted to really write something for you. So I was all excited when I read the script. Oh, and I read that plot, and I said, what the hell is this? is not, <laughs> didn't make a not lot of sense. not going to make this, are we? <laughs> you know? and, I, and I hid from him because every time that, that week he would come by, to, he wanted to find out, was I having a good time? Did I enjoy it? And, all, and I, I, now, now we can't be nice to you any longer. Yes. Uh-oh. Talk to us about Holmes and you. Also created by Leonard Stern. Created by Leonard Stern. Well, it wasn't... I must say... (laughs) All right, guys, it was a crap show. Come on. (laughs) It was well intended. It was an an attempt by Leonard to get back to two-man comedy like Abbott and Costello. Mm -hmm. You name your duo. Of course, it never turned out to be that. But several interesting things happened. The craftspeople that could make something funny no longer existed in Hollywood. For instance, if you wanted to take a phone and water squirt and some guy pours water in at one end and it comes out and hits some, the other guy in the face, those gags, they didn't know how to recreate. How interesting. Um, we had a, a radio that was supposed I forget what it was, um, and I remember there was it couldn't it couldn't do things. There were a number of things. I'm 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 babbling here. Um, maybe that was one of the problems with the show, but we worked hard at it. John Aston directed most of them. Mm-hmm. We re, we did a lot of naughty things. We rewrote uh, Richard Schull, a wonderful actor, um, and an interesting man. Uh, we worked. 18, 19-hour days for that show. And it just was definitely a dud. Interestingly enough, the previews for it were shown on ABC during the Super Bowl. And so for our first night, we had the highest-rated show of the year. Oh, interesting. (laughs) And it went quickly down. I mean, by today's standards, with so many... we, we, We went down, like, from a 20... Two to sixteen, you know. I always thought of it as Leonard trying to take Dick Godier's Jaime the Robot from Get Smart and spin it off into <laughs> into his own series. Yeah. Although no, you had the six, the six million dollar man and the bionic man uh, no. woman were going strong at that time, so that's right. You could understand the thinking. I also think we made a, a and here I had my my argument with Leonard <clears throat> in the pilot. Uh, there's an accident, and I'm, I fall apart on the street, and as a result, Dick Schull knows that I'm a robot. And I said, that should never have happened. He shouldn't know that I'm uh, a robot. 
that way there's much more conflict about why can't I act like normal people and blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. But um, it, it, it was what it was, and we did our 18 shows, and uh, I you did know, have we, the honor that year, though, with it, of being the first actor to be on two telev- national television series on two different networks. There you go. So, so that oh, was McMillan fun. and Wife and Holmes and Yo-Yo. Right. Very good. You know, we joke about it because it's easy to it's easy to poke fun at at, at, at shows. I at, joke about it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but, but you you have to applaud Stern for trying to bring back that kind of classic comedy yeah. form to prime And time. you know, we never made a pilot for it. <clears throat> uh, Jackie Cooper directed the. We had a, a scene, and Jackie Cooper directed it. And we went up into Sid Sheinberg's office and moved all his furniture away, and Dick and I did the scene. And on the basis of that performance, he, he let the show go on the air. So we never made a pilot, which was unusual. Why did the, why did the android have a Russian name? <laughs> why was he Yo- Gregor Yo- Yoyonovich? Yoyonovich. <laughs> why, was, why wasn't he just Yoyonovich? they couldn't find the Scandinavian one? I... <laughs> Four partners in the hospital. Come on, Alex, you're a good cop. By the way, who's my new partner? We call him Yo-Yo. He weighs 427 pounds. He's a completely mobile computer, specially programmed for police work. Is he indestructible? We think so. Send in homes. No one, including Holmes, must know his identity. Alex, no, don't. You're not a person. You're not going to tell them? In my book, you got to make himself a good cop. That's what I put in my report. One episode was directed by uh, Jack Arnold. I don't know if you'd remember this. Gilbert, the director of Creature from the Black Lagoon, Incredible Shrinking Man, and Tarantula. He also... Wow. He also did The Mouth That Roared. Did you know that movie? I did not. You, Peter Sellers. Peter yeah. Sellers. He was the worst director I've ever worked for. Oh, <laughs> oh no. And I couldn't wait till that week was over. Oh, no. <laughs> Speaking of directors, I did want to tuck in that, that, uh, that, that Macmillan and Wife episode where Mac goes to the movie set to learn about the squibs. There's a cameo from George Seaton. The director of Miracle on 34th Street. Oh, my Lord. Of all people, which yeah. got me excited. Let's well, he must have done it as a favor for Rock. He must have. <laughs> yeah. He must have. Oh, and what, do you remember anything about Jack Albertson? Well, Jack was in the pilot, and we became friends. I And so for years afterwards, he didn't do the series <clears throat> because he was working on Broadway. I, I think he was doing one of the Simon plays, Neil Simon plays. Uh, but what a wonderful man. I think he was in man. the Sunshine Boys, Jack Albertson. I think that's what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. And because uh, I remember going to New York and running into him on the street. And he said, what are you doing? I said, well, what are you doing? He said, "I'm oh, I'm doing the show tonight. I've got to go. I said, oh, well, that's too bad. Maybe we could have a drink afterwards or something. He said, no, come and talk to me. Come and talk to me. 
So he invited me. That was my first time backstage of a Broadway theater. And uh, lovely guy. Just That's lovely. cool. You know, we could do a whole show with you running down those names in Macmillan and Wife. One day we'll do this. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, they're like that, 400 wonderful <laughs> actors listed there. And, and actresses, too. Edie Adams. I mean, it just, just so many great people uh, uh, pass through those doors. Yeah. You know, every year at the end of the season, they would have a cast party <clears throat> and invite everybody who'd been on the show that season. Wow. It was terrifying. Because, of course, you walk in, and there's a sea of familiar faces, but you can't remember anybody's name. <laughs> it's terrifying. Well, all of them were those your classic, oh, that. <laughs> Gil- Gilbert, go to, the, go to the IMDb page later and look at Macmillan and Wife. And I'm, uh, you know, for a show like this, John, and John, we want to point out, too, as a listener to the show, which we appreciate, John. Yes, I do listen. We're very kind. And I'm looking at these names, and my heart is breaking. Oh, my God, to have Jack Guilford, to have Roddy McDowell, to have just had an opportunity, a shot yes. at these, at Murray Hamilton and Guilford and so on, to just to have a shot at these people. Gilbert, you'll, you'll be enthralled if you go look at that list. It was so, so much fun. And later, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I um, got a little frog. Uh, a, later, uh, I was doing a play. Uh, in the 80s in London of uh, starring Charlton Heston and Ben Cross and myself of Kane Mutiny. And uh, one night as I'm coming out of the uh, theater, there's Jack Guilford with his wife. I said, Jack, what are you doing here? Well, it turns out he was just down the street at another theater doing one of his shows. Right. And... Uh, so we got to see each other a lot and uh, see the sights of London. A I, I, wonderful man. Yeah, another, a wonderful another man guy. Of, of, a, of a part of theater that, of course, is gone forever. But And a unique clown. He was a true clown. He was marvelous. He could make you cry in about five seconds. I mean, he was remarkable. Wow. Gilbert, did you meet Guilford in your travels? Me? No. Yeah. Never met yeah. him. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah. You would have you loved him. Oh, yeah. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. I got to pick one bone on Macmillan and wife. Okay. Why why the hell doesn't the police commissioner carry a gun? That's an interesting (laughs) question. (laughs) You're doing all the shooting. He's jumping off towers. (laughs) He's tackling people. Why why were they? Maybe because they knew he was a pussycat. You know, I got to tell you one, 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 one story. We, most of the time between scenes, we'd go into Roy's trailer and we would, we would go over the next scene and stuff. But sometimes we would play cards. Uh, but this one year, Nancy Walker was a great, um, uh, what do you call that, needle pointer. Uh-huh. And Rock said, well, I've always wanted to do that. So she started teaching him something. So the rest of us are sitting there, and we all learned how to do a simple cross stitch and stuff. I was working on a belt, and somebody else was doing <laughs> Roy was doing a piano. And then Rosie Greer happened to guest star on the show, the L.A. Rams football player. Sure. Oh, thank you. Yes. And uh, his hobby was needle pointing. He was, he would, I remember him doing it on The Tonight Show and, and all that stuff. So anyhow. 
Rosie and, and Rock are sitting at the front, and I'm at a table facing the front. Nancy's on a little divan, and Mark Riedall, the makeup man, is there, and he's tatting away. We're all we're all doing our thing here, <laughs> and all of a sudden the door opens. There's a knock. The door opens, and in walks John Wayne. Who looks at us? Needle, <laughs> needles in the air, and turns around saying, "Jesus Christ!" Slams <laughs> <watch> the door. <laughs> and right, Rock goes, "Ooh, <laughs> think I better think I better go after him." Anyhow, it was hysterical. Fantastic. <clears throat> Here, here, here's a question from a listener for you, John. Uh, Mark Skoback, was John considered at any point for the MASH TV show? I was. Um, they came to me and <clears throat> asked if I would uh, consider doing it. And I said, well, the part's a sexual joke. There's no real story. I mean, what are you going to do with it? They said, yeah, well, that's what we're looking for is some sort of sexual element. Uh, so I said no. They hired another actor as as Boltowski, and I think it, was, it lasted maybe two episodes. But during that period of time, that's when they came up with Jamie Farr's character ah. of the crossdresser, which was great. It was visual. It was funny. It was you know perfect for that show. Did being in a hit like Mash so early on in your career? I mean, maybe it's a dumb question, an obvious question. I mean, did it help a lot? Yes, I think in retrospect it did. Yeah, it opened a lot of doors uh, yeah. right away. I, uh, I don't. I was also a bit of a snob. I turned down stuff I probably shouldn't have, uh, and so eventually, once McMillan took over, the movie momentum sort of dwindled. I see, and uh, and, and I began. To, I think there was quite a gap there between. Between some of them. So you were a movie snob who was turning down TV roles? No, I was a movie snob turning down movies. Oh. Do you, do you remember or do you want to say which? Well, there was one with Burt, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> Burt Reynolds and uh, Liza Minnelli. Lucky lady. Lucky lady that I was, it was George Cukor directed. No, Stanley Donnan. Oh, it was Stanley Donnan. That was it. Yeah. And, uh. But the idea of spending all day in a boat rocking back and forth with just a few lines didn't appeal to me. <laughs> Were you up for the Hackman part? Uh, no, no. I was, oh. it, wasn't, it wasn't the lead at all. I, see. I don't even remember. But it was a fairly substantial role. Mm-hmm. But I, I turned it down. And in retrospect, I think it was, it, it, it was a group of people that it would have been good to work with, with a an extraordinary director. Sure. How, how could it have hurt? But, Here's another uh, one. Uh, Stan Schwartz says, this is not a question, but my sister was on $10,000 Pyramid. This is something you both have in common because Gilbert did the show recently. Oh, With John that. Shuck and Bill Cullen yes. in the mid-70s. I got to watch from the audience at the LEC. Am I saying that right? The LEC Theater? Uh, on West 58th. LSA, excuse me, on West 58th Street. Shame on me. I'm a New Yorker. I should know how to pronounce that. A good time was had by all, and they gave us all flashlights and batteries. (laughs) You did a lot of game shows. No expense was spared there. No expense. 
You you were a game show staple. They then turned the lights out and they had to use the flashlights to get out of the theater. <laughs> Very exciting. Fourteen babies became as a result of that. <laughs> I, I'll assume you did a little better on Pyramid than than Gilbert fared. Well, I was, I was pretty good. It's impossible to do worse. I was pretty good until popular culture, you know, passed me by, and I was not so good. Uh, but I, uh, I do remember that it was time to hang up my pyramid shoes when, when the category was Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals. And I'm going, you know, Carousel, Sound of Music, South Pacific, nothing, you know. Uh, oh, uh, another actor of the millions of actors we mentioned uh, what do you remember about Werner Klemperer? Werner. <laughs> Werner was a good man. He always, you know, Werner wanted to be a... Uh, I, I loved him. <laughs> Did you know him? He had this great energy. I, I met him. I One time I, I was on, I think it was Conan O'Brien. Yes. And I did like uh, Hogan's Heroes bit in my act. So <laughs> of course I, I did. found out that next door, Werner Klemperer was doing a TV show. So I asked if after my bit, if he'd walk out on stage. And he did. <laughs> that's wonderful. Really great. That's that's wonderful. Well, he he was a character. He, he uh, I don't know whether he married all the women, but he, uh, he, Always had a different girlfriend, and he was always trying to get me to move. Oh, you! I'm living in this wonderful building. You must come and stay in it. Oh, it's fun. And uh, then two weeks later, he'd move somewhere else or be in another city or whatever. He uh, he obviously was very much devoted to his father, the conductor, oh, Otto, Otto Klempfer, and uh, he was also a very close friend of Eddie Lawrence. Now, oh, Eddie, the old philosopher. The old philosopher. Uh. <laughs> oh. Hello, Bunky. You say your boy comes into your bedroom at four in the morning, wakes you up and tells you he's going over the falls in a great big baggy. Well, then, put your head down. <laughs> and Eddie was, Eddie was a dear, dear friend of mine. I wasn't expecting This is the only podcast in the world talking about Eddie Lawrence. <laughs> he was a dear, dear friend of mine. He Bless was him. a w- wonderful painter. He studied with Leger after the war. He, wow. he, he was great. Yeah. You're trying to say something, Frank. I can tell. No, I, I just, I'm, 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 I'm thrilled at it, that, that we got to an old philosopher reference, Gilbert. Unbelievable. And, and the idea of an imitation. <laughs> Hail as it is. Which I wasn't expecting. John, you're a good mimic. Well, my uh, wife doesn't think so. No? I've been trying to ma- imitate a husband for 30 years. And it's... <laughs> you and I were on the phone, and you brought up Turnabout. Another yes. another infamous TV series yep. created, oh, create, yes, created by the yes. late great Sam Denoff, Bill Persky's partner. <clears throat> uh, you want to explain the premise and tell us how that happened? Well, it was based on a little novella by Thorne Smith, and it was a, a couple who go out on the weekend and buy this statuette, and they put it on their bedroom table. And that night they're having this discussion. I think they get into an argument, and the last thing one of them says is, "All, all I just wish we could change bodies. Meaning, so that way you could understand me. 
And then this magical thing happens. The moon is in the right thing of phase and woo, woo, woo. And when they wake up in the morning, they have changed bodies. So I was playing the woman and uh, Sharon, Sharon was playing Glass. the man. All well and good. But it was a very confusing. <laughs> because unless Sharon had a cigar in her mouth, for some strange reason, she looked like a woman. <laughs> but you've done And I wasn't allowed to wear dresses or anything, and I, I looked like a man. Nevertheless, uh, we, it was an attempt, once again, uh, at, uh, at comedy. And uh, it was not good. Because it was never written from a woman's point of view, even though we had Barbara Corday as, uh, as our and one other person uh, as our primary writers, but Sam was very much uh, of the uh, Mel Brooks style of humor, and <laughs> it just it just didn't work with these characters. Talking about humor that didn't work, I was reading an interview with you in the uh, AV squad in The Onion. You were talking about being Murray the Cop, playing Murray mm -hmm. the Cop in The New Odd Couple. And as Gilbert and I have talked about on previous shows, Gil, you remember this, they recycled some old Odd Couple scripts. They yes, recycled Klugman. Uh, word and, for word. Yeah, they did, the same people. You yeah. know, <clears throat> so it starred Ron Glass and Demond Wilson. Yep. Two black guys. <laughs> well, they were writing, as you said, Jewish jokes. Just writing Jewish jokes for, for these black, two guys. For black <laughs> actors. It, it, it was a nightmare. Did you have fun at, at any point? You, by yeah. the way, you're, there, oh, you're yeah. the second actor to play Murray the Cop. We had Brad Garrett here. Yes. Who also yeah. No, it was, it was fun. And, and there were a couple of scripts that were turned out not to be too bad. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, if you put a, if you put two monkeys in a room with typewriters, uh, sooner or later one's going to type Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, yeah. right, or a tale of two cities. Yeah. Uh, what about the new monsters? Which I under excuse me, monsters today. The new oh. monsters was another version. There were so many monsters reboots, and I heard you say you were very candid, by the way, with that in that uh, Onion interview, and you said it was the only job you ever took for the money. Yes, Lloyd Schwartz, a good friend of mine, was. <clears throat> called up one night and he said, would you like to play Herman? And this told us about it. And I was a little resistant to it, but <clears throat> I was uh, going through a divorce I, and I had a young young son and I thought, well, let's not pull some of those, no, I don't want to snobby things that I did early in my career. I'll do it because I need the, the bread. So I did. And little thinking that it would turn out to be 90-some episodes. Is 104. Huh? 104. 104, yeah. Syndication package, yeah. you know, uh, thing. And uh, I had the joy of working with Lee Merriweather and, and Howie Morton and and Jason uh, Marsden. We know Jason. And uh, so that was that was fun. But the uh, the scripts were, it was battle every day. It was, it was not a... Not a good deal. And, and you knew Fred Gwynn. I didn't know him really. I, I met him on, on numerous occasions, you know, at parties in New York and stuff of that nature. But I, I always apologized. He said, no, 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 you're very good. You're very good. Don't worry about it. <laughs> he would say, there's no competition. I said to myself, you're telling me there's no competition. He was... <laughs> 
He was brilliant. But that was the problem with the show. That was a black and white show, beautifully cast and, yeah. and produced and written. But it was the right time period for it. Here we are capitalizing on that success, but we turned it into a four-camera television show. It's in color. We're doing it in front of a live audience. <laughs> well, we didn't the first season, but this, from that point on, we did. It, it was... It was it was awful. It was not not and, and, and then you they didn't would like try the makeup. Well, uh, the you makeup the was the. Fortunately, we only had to wear the makeup two days out of the week. I see. And uh, but I had to wear those what they call cathernive, the elevated shoes, mm-hmm. and they were up about four or five inches, so they were dangerous. You had to be real careful with them, and. Uh, the makeup itself took about three, three and a half hours to put on, but it was, and uh, by that time, they uh, had a wonderful makeup guy by the name of Gilbert Moscow had developed makeups that would not take your face off and were easily removable. So, but it the downside, the trade-off was it didn't stick that well. So once you started perspiring, they were constantly... Uh, playing with your face. And and I I've heard with that kind of makeup like actors who are alcoholics uh them you know alcohol's a makeup remover. So they would alcoholic <laughs> actors would sweat alcohol. <laughs> and the makeup that, would fall is that over the that's that probably true. Yeah. 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 Speaking well, of makeup, by the way, uh, Lee Merriweather did this show, and Gilbert was naughty with her. And, 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 uh, she must have loved it. She threatened to spank him. Oh. Yeah. Yes, yeah. which I thought, that's my number one sexual fantasy. Well, there you go. Getting spanked by Kat. Lovely woman. <laughs> oh, terrific. And if Lovely she'd worn woman. her sash and tiara, it would be even better. <laughs> Edward McDonald, speaking of makeup, I'd be interested in hearing about the process of John uh, putting that Klingon makeup on for the Star Trek films. Yes. Well, that was, a again, a, that was about a five-hour period for the Star Trek Four, But the hard part there was removing it. Uh, that was just, I'm so glad I only worked a couple days because that was took half my face off. But by the time we did Star Trek Six, that movie... The last with the original cast. Yeah, the undiscovered country. They had developed these these makeups to be much kinder to the face, and they had removable. They used hot towels and lotions, and it was relatively easy. You are such a recognizable actor that when I was in the movies watching Star Trek Four, and you yes. appeared as the ambassador under all that Klingon makeup, in about nine seconds, I said, "That's John Shuck." <laughs> <laughs> Frank, it was the voice. <laughs> well, the voice too. <laughs> the voice too. You know, uh, the monsters wasn't the only time that you played the Frankenstein monster or a Frankenstein monster character. You yes. did a TV movie called The Halloween that almost wasn't, yes. which is fun. But I bring it up because of the name Jack Riley. Yes, someone you knew and someone Gilbert worked with. I love Jack Riley. He was a wonderful guy. And I think I might have, uh, when we talked, Frank, I might have told you this, that my very first day driving into Cleveland to start work at the Cleveland Playhouse, I had the radio on, 
and there was this uh, radio couple by the name of Baxter and Riley playing. And that was Jack. And they had this hit show in Cleveland. Everybody stopped what they were doing to listen to this. And it was two hours, five days a week. Cotton Dissolve. Uh, I, did, I, I used to listen to the show, but I was working there. And then that summer, I worked at the Cleveland Music Carnival. And one of the shows we did, it, we had Jack Riley as a guest star. And so that's when our friendship began. And then it turned out that... Uh, he was out in Hollywood, and I looked him up, and got to know Pat McCormick and all that crowd. Uh-oh. And, uh, you know? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I'll tell I you, told- when, when Pat McCormick is sprawled out on the stairs at 3 in the morning, and you're trying to sneak out to go home, it's very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Gilbert, John and I had a lovely phone call a few weeks ago, and I told him the helicopter story. <laughs> which about Pat, which he wasn't familiar with. No. <laughs> but he said, sounds like him. <laughs> yeah. and, and I met, I one time met uh, Tim Conway. Yes. And and I said, look, I got to ask you something, if it's, this is a true story or not. And I said, uh, with Pat, and I didn't even get to McCormick. I said, with Pat... And Tim Conway goes, helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yes. And he just nods his head. Yes. It's p- part of the lore of this podcast. I, one night, I was uh, actually, uh, Michael Learned and I were having dinner in the Valley at a restaurant that's no longer there. And... Um, we hadn't seen each other for a couple, year and a half, I guess. It's, anyhow, so it's nice to see her. And we look over, and there at a table is Pat McCormick, Tim Conway, and Jack Riley. So Jack calls us over and uh, introduces us, and we sit down. I, 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 I had to go change my underwear at least three times that night. <laughs> <laughs> the upshot was that we all ended out in the kitchen because Pat wanted to tell um, the chef how he should really be cooking. <laughs> and he decided that all of us should make omelets. The restaurant had closed by this point. <laughs> yeah. They're washing the dishes and that, that, that was it. So we did. We made omelets. But it was out of that came a thing that we did at the comedy club a couple times called Stand Up and Blow. We were a whistling troupe. <laughs> and we would stand up and blow everything from the national anthem. We always began with the national anthem. And then we would proceed to, to Beatles songs. And Fantastic. Fantastic. There's a great, I think Ronnie Shell told us that when Pat was in the uh, actor's home, he was rooming with the great director, Stanley Kramer. Yes. Oh, my. And that Jack Riley, I hope this is a true story, and Jack <laughs> Riley went to visit Pat, walked in, saw Stanley Kramer, and said, Pat, you finally got a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like Jack. <laughs> Here's one more for you from a listener, John, before we let you get out of here. Maurice Shodash, or Shodash, John was Mr. Irresistible in a terrific episode of Fantasy Island. Yes. Which I think was written by our friend Ron Friedman, Gilbert. 
Oh. Does he have any Hervé Villachez? Uh, did he have any interactions <laughs> or any memories? <laughs> oh, well, I guess the. Let me check my short term memory here. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I, I did enjoy. I did enjoy that. Uh, I did. I did two of those things. One with Bob Goulet, where we were. Uh, went back in, he was a swashbuckler, you know, back into the 1800s. Oh, yeah, great. Sort of a Cyrano-type character. And that was a lot of fun. Do uh, I have this wrong, John, that, that you said that uh, musical theater was your real love? Yes. Uh, when I was five, my folks took me to see Oklahoma in New York, and I knew all the songs at that point. And I left the theater that night knowing that I wanted to be an actor. At five? At, at five, Wow, or maybe it was a cowboy, but anyhow, I, I pursued, <laughs> I pursued the, I pursued the acting, and yeah, I never let, I really never let go of it. And even though you have a little frog, and I am going to put you on the spot, can you <laughs> sing a couple of bars of NYC for us? NYC, what is it about you? You're big, you're loud, you're tough. NYC. I go years without you, then I can't get enough. Enough of cab drivers answering back, etc. Oh, fantastic. Were you a trained singer? Yeah. I studied with the wonderful singers in Los Angeles by the name of Sweetland, Lee Sweetland and Sally Sweetland, uh, who, who really made it possible for me to go into musical theater. Because I had a, about a two-note range. The first thing I ever sang was a, during a college production. Well, I'd sung in, in the high school musicals. I'd done Billy Bigelow, mm -hmm. uh, things like that. So that's not nothing to sneeze at. Then in college, I, we were doing good news, and they said, "Here's a here's a little song. Make up a melody because we can't find it." So it went something like, "Oh, Tate is a great little college." Its teams seldom win, but they try. Why, it's more like a jail compared to Harvard or Yale. But it's handy if you live close by. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Do you have any idea how many ballpark, how many uh, uh, performances as Daddy Warbucks? Uh, and I know cause you, you went on the road with it. My wife, I told you I sent you the programs. My wife saw you 20 years apart. In the part. She saw you in the 70s, and she and saw you in the, the 90s. Huh? Yeah, I did it over yeah. a long period of time. I don't know. I was in the show a year and a half in New York, so that's eight performances times 18 months. And then... Yeah. Um, so well over 1,000. Well over 1,000. It's probably yeah. 25, closer to three. Wow. And, and I know this was any song and not Warbucks, but could you uh, treat us with a little of tomorrow? No, you sing that part, Gilbert. He'll sing. <laughs> <laughs> the sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be sun. Just tomorrow, tomorrow. I love you tomorrow. You're only a day away. You know, after nice. doing the show for 18 months, I was doing this scene at the end of the first act, and, and I, I'm talking to Grace, and, and, uh, but the problem was, 
that when Annie came on the stage, I couldn't think of what the, what her name was. I had blanked on Annie. Oh, Jesus. And, oh. and <laughs> the only thought that kept running through my head was, if I could look at the marquee, I can get the information I need. <laughs> 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 and that, that night I called my wife and I said, it's, I'm quitting. It's time to come home. <laughs> Did you do that with Alex Ghostly? Alice was, yes, she was my first Miss Hannigan. Wonderful. And then Marsha Lewis replaced her, and and that's who I've done most of them with. I've also done a lot of it uh, with uh, Sally Struthers, who's an extraordinary, and not somebody you should talk to. She's we a have fa- to get fascinating Sally Struthers. woman. Yeah, she did Mark Maron's podcast recently. We have to get her. It's good timing because All in the Family turned 50 yes. this year. By the way, McCabe and Mrs. Miller just turned 50. I sent you a text. Wishing you a happy anniversary. 50 Thank years. You. Unbelievable. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to ask you a, a question, John, that I haven't asked in a number of weeks, but I've asked many, many serious actors on this show. <clears throat> the, the man who's sitting in that box that you're staring at, do you think that he could pull off a dramatic role? Well, he certainly has this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, of course. Ed Wynn, Bert Lahr, all the great comics. They're all serious actors at art. Jack Guilford. Jack Guilford. Look at that, Gilbert. What a compliment. He compared you to Ed Wynn. Yeah. Ooh, oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> well, you win some, you lose some. John, did you ever work with John MacGyver? I did not, and I never met the man. Okay, would you like to hear Gilbert's impression of him? Uh, absolutely. Everything in this company must be run according to schedule. We will have no slackers here. This is a tight ship, and I am the captain of the ship. Bravo. That's it. That's it. Did you ever hear anybody do John MacGyver? He nailed him. Remember Milt Kamen? Of course. Yes. My favorite imitation of his was bacon frying in a pan. Did you ever see that? Uh, Oh, I think I remember that. And then he would do the thing. He'd look right into the camera. He says, I'm going to become handsome. And and he did. He suddenly became an Adonis. Milt Kamen. I haven't thought of Milt Kamen in 40 years. Or, well, or, or the old philosopher. It's about time. This is the only podcast. Did you ever meet Joey Ross? No, I never did. Okay. I'm, I'm shooting wildly here, John. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we want to thank some people. How about that compliment, though, Gilbert? He compared you to Bert Lahr and, and, uh, and Ed Wynn. Unbelievable. It's the truth. He's got a, he's, he, he longs to play Shylock, I think. Yes. Ah, pound of flesh, huh? Well. <laughs> Somebody was on the show. Gilbert, who was it? Well, we had a lot of character actors here. We had Joel, Joel oh. Gray and Griffin Dunn and a million yeah. people. Somebody said he should play Willie Loman. Hey, that's a good idea. What do you think? It's the it's a part bigger than Hamlet. But you And and uh Oh god. Oh, Adam West was on and he said I would have made a great penguin. That was, uh... There you go. Oh, and Dick Van Dyke said I would have been a good buddy. Buddy Sorrell. 
on the yeah. Dick Van Dyke yeah. show. So th- those were. Uh... I'll have to put my thinking cap on and I'll. Oh, okay. Well, if Gil- Gilbert <laughs> plays Willie Loman, will you play Biff, John, to his Willie Loman? <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding? No, I'll play Mrs. Loman. <laughs> I mean, it'll, right. we, it'll be really serious then. You are a guy we could talk to forever and ever. And one day we will do this again and, and just it. go over. We'll just remember old comics and go and go through these names. We'll, we'll talk about Milt Kamen and Guy Marks and, <laughs> and <laughs> Shelley Berman and Corbett Monica and yes. all of these great people. Shelley Berman, by the way, was on McMillan and Wife. Yes, he was. He was also... Did an episode of uh, the Monsters Today? Oh my gosh, you've worked with everybody. And you did know you know Al we... Lewis? Huh? Did you meet Al Lewis? No, I've never met Al. Okay, I've never met Al. But you know who used to come to our tapings all the time? For some reason, he loved the show. Was Jonathan Winters? Oh my! Oh yeah, he would he he, he would come and sometimes he'd do something for the audience. Other times, not. Our warm up man was Jason Marsden, who at that time was. Twelve. Yes, and he loved performing. He's a one. He just loves it and totally fearless. And he'd go out and tell his jokes and sing a song, and audiences loved it. Shout out to Jason, who is a fan of this podcast, and I do communicate with him. And he was very excited to know you were coming on. Well, but he you. did tell me I don't think John was enjoying himself <laughs> much <laughs> in those days. We want to thank our pal Barry Greenberg. Our mutual yes. pal who helped book John. I love that man. He's a complicated man. <laughs> <laughs> like I've, John Shaft. Yes. But adorable. Adorable. And, and our, our thanks to our pal Jim Delacroce, who set this up with the engineer Andrew Stewart. John is in a famous recording studio in Nashville where Chet Atkins recorded. Chet, Chet Atkins definitely So the good recorded. vibes in that room. So we're going to thank uh, Andrew Stewart and Eddie Gore. Elvis. Elvis too? And the other studio. Yeah, we're not in B. You're in C, right? We're in C for yeah, Conrad, yeah, which is my good. first name. Conrad John Shuck. I always knew you as John Shuck, and then I started doing research, and you're Conrad all over the place. Well, one day, one, I was looking at the poster layout for the 20th anniversary revival, and all you could see was Nell Carter and Annie. And I thought, I got to do something about that. So I, my dad had uh, said he wished that I'd used his name uh, for my career, and I agreed. So I decided it was time to use honor him and, and, and do that. But I didn't realize it was going to create such problems. People wrote me nasty letters. How dare you change your name or, and all that. It's so strange, isn't it? <laughs> People have nothing to do but write you letters I, I guess about so. you changing your yeah. name. By the way, I watched that Mission Impossible episode you're in with Pernell Roberts. Yes. And Leonard Nimoy, who, and would, Leonard. who would later be directly involved in your life in, in, in more ways than one. Yes. And uh, Leonard married John's ex-wife. Yes. We should point out. Uh, but uh, you do a wonderful Mexican accent. You're in a Banana Republic in that episode. <laughs> and you're like a muscle. You're like local muscle. Well, you say that's wonderful. Thank you for that. Lieutenant Jocano. We still, my my brothers and I still still call each other up and you'll hear, your brother is dead. <laughs> <laughs> we, 
we were about as authentic today's political correctness. We wouldn't stand a chance with no, that. I'm, I'm, I'm watching you and Pernell Roberts, who's from Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> two of you, the two of you are like Alfonso Bedoya in uh, the Treasure of the Sierra Madre. <laughs> I I remember seeing a movie where John Carradine was playing a Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been interesting. He was versatile. That was real. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Sinatra played a Mexican or a Spaniard in uh, what is that movie with Cary Grant, The Pride and the Passion? Really? Yeah, I, it's not one good. I've never seen. It's not good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll watch it twice. <laughs> John, this was an uh, an honor and a thrill to spend this time with you. Well, gentlemen, I can't thank you enough for including me. I've, I'm a big fan of the show. You you all are, are terrific, and you bring the, the best out of your guests, except in my case. Oh, yeah. But- <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think this was a perfect episode. Nice, nice and tight. And we got to everybody. <laughs> we did. Yeah. We did pretty good. Yeah. By the way, Richard Schull, I was talking to John, by the way, who uh, who starred with Richard Schull in Holmes and Yo-Yo. By the way, you work with Richard Schull and Richard Stahl. Yep. But possibly not Richard Schall, no. who was married to Valerie Harper. To Valerie, yeah, Valerie, okay. yeah. Okay, okay, but there you go. But he told me what? He was a throwback who drove a car from the 40s, Richard, Sch- Richard Schull? He, he and his wife, Marilyn, lived in the 40s. Uh, <laughs> They bought you all their clothes from the forties at its various stores. He would write only with a, a fountain pen. He had a nineteen forty Chevy or something a Bu- Buick or Chevy. He had he was a railroad aficionado and he ha- owned his own railroad car. Wow! And for the opening gift, because uh, he knew of my affection for as a kid of of taking the train. From Buffalo, New York, to New York, to New Jersey, to see my grandparents, and I had remarked on the on this doeskin type uh, blankets that they used to have. He gave me one of those blankets, numbered, so you could find out where it came from, which compartment on which which train. That's very, cool. very thoughtful. But he was he was eccentric, and their their house was all um, from the forties. All their furniture, everything. He was like a, a sort of a, a, a curmudgeonly actor, a little bit like a Mathau. Yes. In some yes, ways. Yes, he had this wonderful, unusual, mobile, rubbery face and uh, very distinctive. And, Loved him. Um, he was doing a Neil Simon play. He went home between shows in New York and never, you know, for the break, and never came back. Oh. So it was oh. a bit of a shock. Sorry. I hate to end this out with such a downer, but... All right, then sing us a little more from Annie. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, we're not going to make you work better. <laughs> What's the other one? Something, something, uh, something was missing. No, I'm not going to do that. Together no. at last, together forever, we're tying a knot. They never can sever. I don't need sunshine now to turn my skies to blue. I don't need anything but you. Boom, 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 there you boom, go. Boom, 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 boom. I'm, I'm singing out, guys. Charles Strauss is kind of a genius, isn't he? He is. He really is. Gilbert, this man has a drive ahead of him. Let's sign off. Hey. <laughs> you know, it was light outside when we started. Gilbert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, you, 
You better get one of those flashlights from the game show. These are deep dives, John. I warned you. (laughs) This has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. And uh, we, our guest uh, has been a guy, you know, yeah, he's done movies, he's done TV, he's done Broadway, but most importantly, he is the first actor <laughs> to say fuck in a major motion picture, John Chuck. <laughs> Good night, Gracie. John, you're the best. Thank you so much. <laughs> We'll do it again. We'll talk soon. Together forever, we're tying a knot. They never can sever. I don't need sunshine now to turn my skies to blue. I don't need anything but you. You've wrapped me around that cute little finger. You've made life a song. You've made me the singer. And what's that bad to do always? Boo, boo, boo. anything but you. Yesterday was plain awful. Awful. You can say that again. Again. Yesterday was plain awful. But that's. Not now. That's then. I'm poor as a mouse. I'm richer than Midas. But nothing on earth could ever divide us. And And if tomorrow I'm an apple seller too, I don't need anything but you. And it needed his mother, Woolworth needed his shop. Orville needed his brother. Anything, anything, anything.